Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Well, <laughs> maybe you're not pleased to see me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's good to have everyone back again. It feels like uh, everything's returning to normal, doesn't it? This week in our house, it was kids back to school. Healy was back to work. It's just kind of those normal returning. And our church kind of runs on that more academic kind of year. It's just the way we are, and it's the nature of how we're made up. Um, and so we are starting to get back into September and, and normal rhythms again. And every, time, every year at this time of year, we, 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 we pause for a few weeks, and we want to look at what makes us us. Like, who, who are we as, as, a, as, a, as a family? Um, I, I use this analogy a lot, but one of my favorite parts of my job is, is getting to do weddings, and I've married a lot of um, and um, that, why does that sound funny? I just have. Um, but whenever you get to do weddings, you, you get to see, oh, that's why you're the way you are. Because you get to see people with their family. You're like, wow, she is really like her dad or her, him and his brother like do the, say the same thing or move the same way or all that kind of stuff. And, and, and every family has these traits, don't they? It's like what comes out of your DNA. It comes from, from who you are. And, and the same for, for the church family. And then particularly, um, every church family probably has its own, like one of our things we're known for is timekeeping, isn't it? Um, that's just a wee dig at you. Passive aggressiveness. Maybe that's another trait. Um, I'm only joking. Um, but we have things that we want to hold central, central our DNA, what makes us us. And we have, we have these, summed these things up into a mission statement that, you, that we say every single Sunday. It's going to be on the screen. That we exist to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. Now, this is what defines us as a church. And, and actually, I would argue that it's what should define every church. These, uh, it's not just a random thing. It's not something we just put together that looks good on a website. Um, but this statement is based on the three components which makes up every, which makes up the body of Christ, which defines the body of Christ, the gospel, community, and mission. The first thing you'll notice is that we have to, to be a gospel-shaped community who love Jesus. Because the, the, good, the gospel is the good news of what God has done for us through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It, it's the foundation of foundations, right? None of us, if you're a Christian, none of us would be here without the gospel. We would still be in darkness. And, and one of the things that we really want to always communicate in our church and, and always live is that the gospel isn't just the message by which we are saved. It's the message by which we live, okay? The gospel isn't just the message that brought us in from death to new life in Jesus. It's also the, the message by which we live. And so that's why we don't apologize for preaching the gospel to one another and for every Sunday talking about the gospel. It's the, it's the good news of Jesus which encompasses every area of our lives. Then the, 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 we, we go on to say a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus and each other. This is central to who we are. We were talking about this with our MC leaders yesterday morning. Um, that, that actually, the, the, the Bible teaches us that the story of God in the world has always been about Him creating a people for Himself. A people, uh, um, sorry, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that we are not a people, now are a people. God has always been doing this work, and it has come to its fullness in Jesus, and, and the church is the ongoing of that, and one day it will be culminated in the new creation when we will all be God's people in God's presence forever. And so there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. If you're a Christian, whether or not you attend a church, you are part of 
the church. You're part of the body of Christ. That's community. And then secondly, uh, love our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. Because actually Christians believe that God is at work in the world, that God has always been at work in the world, right? This is the, this is the history of the Bible, what God is doing in the world. And by being part of the church, by being brought into union with Christ, that we join in what God is, we become part of that mission. We become part of that work. And so not only is community fundamental to who we are as followers of Jesus or people who are in Jesus or the brothers and sisters of Jesus, so is being on mission. Those two things go hand in hand. What did Jesus say that before he, when he finished his earthly ministry and before he ascended to heaven, he said his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you. Sharing what we have in Christ is who we are as the body of Christ. The gospel community and mission. And we put those three things together, those foundations, those fundamentals, we see that the church is a community of people who are in Jesus, on mission, gathered around him and what God is doing in the world. We see that gospel, community, and mission come together with the purpose of joining in what God is doing in the world. And so, you, you know, and, and we're not going to go too deeply into this right now, but um, particularly to where we are in the world and when we are in the world, um, it's easy to kind of say you're a Christian and, and kind of show up to church every now and again, or, or it's easy to have a maybe like I'm, a, I'm some kind of Christian or a political identity in our part of the world or, or whatever it may be. And, and we just kind of want to cut through all of that. And we want to say, let's keep the main things the main things. And the main things are the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus is. And that he has then, through what he has done, made us a people. And that then we are sharing in what he is doing in the world. We desire simple church, just a gospel family on mission together. This is who we are, and it's who we're going to continue to be as a church. But we want to start thinking about what does that look like? In other words, it's not about just who we are, but it's about how we are, right? It's not just who we are, who we are. It's how we are, who we are. And so as we continue to live out, uh, live as a, as a, as a Jesus gospel-shaped family on mission together, what area do we focus on? Where is God leading us and how is he leading us to live? Maybe, maybe it's more common to do this at New Year's rather than September. But maybe even September you do that. We're going to do this this year. Uh, we, we've started our gym membership. We're, go, we're going to start going swimming every week or whatever it may be. At the start of this year, we want to, we want to stop and ask, where, where is the Lord leading us? Because it's easy to have a clear mission, but, but actually lack how you're going to achieve that mission. And so as we assessed various aspects of our church and we prayed and, and, and listened to the Lord, we, can, we identified areas that we want to grow in and focus on in this coming year. Three parts of our culture as we live out gospel and mission that we want to develop. And these three things are prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. Prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. And, and each of these three things are completely in line with our foundations, right? They're completely in line with God's community and mission. It's not a departure from them. It's, it's a particular outworking of them that we want to focus on this year, where we feel the Lord calling us into, into I was going to say deeper depths, but that's kind of a redundant phrase, um, but, but into more maturity and, and to, to pursue these things. Prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. And so in line with our mission this year, our vision, or in line with our mission and, and being a gospel-shaped community of people who, who love Jesus and each other on mission together, our, our vision for this coming year is simply this. 
humbly depending on Jesus together to grow in him and boldly make him known. So humbly depending on Jesus together, that's prayer, to grow in him, that's discipleship, and to boldly make him known. That's, that, that's, that's evangelism. And now, don't get too bogged down in the statement. That's okay if you don't remember it. We're, we're going to have little cards for you guys to take home and stick on your fridge or whatever to bear these things in mind. But the statement isn't the most important thing. The, the, the statement is just a tool that, that points to what we really want to achieve. We want to become a people who pray, humbly depending on Jesus together. We want to uh, grow discipleship, grow in him, grow in our knowledge of him, and doing this together as being part of a gospel-shaped community. And this is, this is a particular part of our of mission, of being on mission, the spoken part. Not just being friends, people who are non-Christians, but verbally communicating the gospel, communicating the message. It is a message after all, and a message isn't a message if it's never passed on, right? So uh, verbally sharing the good news of, of God's grace. And so as we humbly depend on Jesus together to grow in him and make him known, um, this is how we are seeking to live out gospel community and mission this year. Um, and so over the course of, of this coming year, and, and quite honestly, I, I, I believe into next year as well, we're going to focus on these three things. And you're going to hear a lot about them in various ways. And, and, and we're going to do various uh, teaching and training and, and so on throughout the year. Um, but today and the next two Sundays, we just want to look at each of these in turn. Today, starting with prayer. So prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. Humbly dependent on Jesus together to grow in him and boldly make him known. Yeah, that's something that we want you guys to own and, and we want us all to own as a church. What does it look like to humbly depend on Jesus? What does it look like to, to grow in him? And what does it look like to, to boldly make him known? So I'm going to just pause for a second and pray. And then we're going to look at this first one, prayer, together. Um, it's not going to be uh, exhaustive kind of sermon on prayer, because how could you ever do that? But hopefully it will help us start thinking about prayer and the necessity of that and the benefits of that and the privilege of that in our lives. So let me pray for us and ask for God's help, and then we'll look at prayer. Um, Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you that you are high and lifted up. We want to thank you that you are holy. We want to thank you that you are the God of heaven. And Father, we just ask now that you would teach us to listen Teach us to pray, that you would teach us to depend on you and to pursue you in the way that you've designed us to live. Lord, we can do nothing in and of ourselves. We can't even listen to a sermon, preach a sermon without your help. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit living in us and among your people, make us responsive to what you have to say to us today. For the glory of Jesus. Amen. Um, so, I, uh, let me just grab a wee drink of water here. I came to flossing late in life, and I don't mean like the mid-2000s dance craze, which I can't do. I mean like flossing your teeth, and I'm glad that Jess isn't here to she but me. But I don't mind telling you that I only started flossing in my 30s, right? That's not good, but it has revolutionized my life. I'm not, I mean, I would encourage you all to start flossing if you don't. Uh, I used to go to the dentist, and it'd be bad news every time. Now I go to the dentist, she's like, oh, you look after your teeth. And I'm like, yes, I do. I floss twice a week. Um, <laughs> Do it. You got to floss. But here's the thing. Sometimes we think about prayer like flossing, don't we? We're told that it's something we should do, and we might even believe that it has benefits, but we don't see it as vital. Okay, it probably would improve our lives, but it's, is it really? 
Is it really vital? Is it really necessary? Sure, prayer is probably something that we should do, but it's not something we have to do. And I'm sure that if I went around the room and, and we were all honest with each other, we would all probably say that, that, that we, we don't pray as often as we think we should or, or we find it difficult to pray. So why is that? Now, the thing I want is, is for this morning to be a guilt trip on prayer, right? That's really not the heart of Jesus towards his people, not at all. But, but I do want us to see that prayer is fundamental to our lives in Jesus, and also that it's a privilege that we get to participate in. But I wonder, could the reason that we treat prayer like flossing, like a, an optional extra, could it be that we, we misunderstand what prayer is? Could it be that we misunderstand the purpose of prayer? And could it be that we fully grasp that prayer is a privilege? And so I don't want this to be, feel like a guilt trip over the next few minutes. I want this to feel like an invitation. I want, I want to hopefully lay out a, a little bit of a biblical vision for prayer. And not just for individuals, not for us to just to go away on our own. Yes, that. But also as a church to become a praying people too. So we're going to just very simply look at the purpose of prayer, the heart of prayer, and the community of prayer. Firstly then, the purpose of prayer, dependence on God. Um, now, almost everybody prays when they're desperate, right? I heard somebody describe this as, maybe you've heard this phrase, foxhole prayers. You ever heard foxhole prayers? Um, so if you don't know, but uh, it's when you're, you're, if you're pinned down in a foxhole and the bullets are flying and the bombs are going all off around you, even if you're not like a Christian or you've never prayed before, no matter who you are, you're probably in that moment going to be inclined to pray. The idea is that in life that we all get to some point or other where we realize that we can't get by on our own, that we need something outside of ourselves to help us. But in actual fact, according to the Bible, according to what God tells us about life, our entire lives are intended to, to be lived with the attitude that unless God intervenes, we cannot do anything. We are designed and intended to live with, with total dependence on God. You know, break the glass in case of emergency kind of thing. But at every moment of our lives. A little thought experiment. If you imagine if you just, uh, every, uh, thought about this, every single thing you do today after we leave here. If you said, everything I'm about to do today is not possible without divine intervention. I wonder how that would change how you see the world and how you live. Well, the actual truth is that that's not a what-if exercise. That's actually the case. And this is why we need to pray. We pray because we are totally dependent on God. This is the heart of the gospel. One of our foundations, the gospel. It's the attitude that brings us from death to life. We come to Jesus and we say, at some point or other, all of us, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, at some point in your life, you realize, Lord, I am, I am in need. I am sinful and I have no way to rectify that myself. Help me. Coming independence to God is, is how we become Christians. But like I said earlier, it's also how we live as Christians. We trust in Jesus to be saved, knowing that we can't do anything to save ourselves. And then we continue to trust in Jesus as we lived as saved people, knowing that we can't live in the way of Jesus without his help. You see how that works? And if we look at what the Bible shows us about prayer, we see that prayer is about recognizing every moment and every day we are completely dependent on God. If we look at the life of Jesus, for example, we've been studying the, the Gospel of Luke 
And, and, and actually Luke's gospel records more uh, of Jesus' prayers or more times of Jesus praying than any other gospel. And if this is our model and our example of prayer, then we should learn from him about depending on God in prayer because Jesus prayed in total dependence on the Father. Jesus prayed in total dependence on God. This does not diminish his glory. This does not diminish his power. But this is fundamental to who he is and who he was on earth as a man, as God, as a human being. He prayed in total dependence of God. So, for example, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in Luke chapter 3, we see that after Jesus was baptized, he was praying. In Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus' whole ministry involves, uh, uh, begins with a, a battle involving prayer and fasting, a battle with the, the devil himself. In Luke chapter 5, everybody is coming to see Jesus and he's starting to gain notoriety. And, but, what, but what does Luke tell us? Source of strength? Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places to pray. In Luke 6, Jesus is about to call his 12 apostles. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> That's like disciple and apostle together. Disciples. And what does he do before he chooses them? Luke tells us, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying with God. Luke chapter 9, we have the account of Peter's confession where Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. But, but what was Jesus doing right before that very significant moment? Jesus was praying in private. In the same ch chapter at the Transfiguration, you might remember, the whole purpose of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John to that mountaintop was to pray. In Luke chapter 18, where we haven't got to yet in our study of Luke, we find that Jesus is teaching the disciples about persistence in prayer. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then finally, one of the most well-known instances of Jesus praying is went to the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was arrested and, and, and betrayed. Luke 22, 40 to 42. And when he came to the place, he said to them, that's his disciples, Peter, James, and John, pray you may not enter temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here's the question. If we look at, I mean, that's a very brief overview of the life of Jesus. But if we, if we look at Jesus' life and we ask the question, why was Jesus always praying? Why was Jesus always praying? Or, or maybe a, a, a deeper question is, what did Jesus do without praying? What did Jesus do apart from prayer? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing. There's not one thing that Jesus did on him. It was all in dependence on the Father. And if you don't believe me, listen to what Jesus says himself in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says, the Son, nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. And so if Jesus, God in the flesh, can say, I can do nothing by myself, then, 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 then why do we think that we can get by on our own? Well, why why that we make it without depending on the Father? There is absolutely nothing we can do apart from total dependence of God. And this is why the disciples came to Jesus in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and said, teach us how to pray. Because it's not that they weren't religious. It's not that they didn't know how to pray. They knew how to pray in the synagogue. 
They, 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 they knew how to pray on the Sabbath, and they knew how to pray in all the various circumstances and religious ways that they, that they had grown up with. They knew how to pray religiously. In Jesus, they saw something different, right? They saw more than just a religious kind of prayer. It wasn't empty. Prayer was something that, that nourished the Lord. It was something that was necessary for him. It was life-giving. He was dependent on the Father. And when the disciples saw this and realized this, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this dependence on God carrying from Jesus and through the apostles then as he taught them how to pray and then to the church. The early church prayed in total dependence on God. They followed the example of the Lord. We move from Luke into the book of Acts. See him off the way. He's kind of just continuing the story. In, in Acts chapter 4, when the apostles had been persecuted by the religious leaders, they didn't get together and go around saying, oh, this is so bad, I can't believe how hard this is. No, they prayed. Later in that same chapter, in Luke 4, 31, we see what happens when they pray with absolute dependence on God. Luke 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldness. Prayer in the early church was, was vital to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could speak the word of God with boldness. We think we don't need to pray. Our goal is to grow in Jesus and make him known, then prayer is vital for that. Because in prayer, we are demonstrating our, our total dependence on God. Later on, we see when Peter was in prison, what was the church's response? When Peter's in jail, the church are praying. In Acts 13, when the church at Antioch, they want to actually go and plant and make the gospel known, how did they start? They prayed. In Acts 14, when they needed new leaders in the church, what did they do? Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. Do you see this pattern emerging? It goes from Jesus to the apostles to, the, to us. The fundamental root conviction of the church has always been that we can do nothing without God and so we pray this is why we need to pray because we are dependent on God and we can do nothing without him. The early church knew this because Jesus taught them this. Now here's what concerns me. And, and it really hit me this week as I was thinking about that journey from G, the pr prayer journey of Jesus to the apostles to the church. Because the concern is that what was vital for the Lord Jesus and vital for the early church has become optional for us. And that's, that's worrying, isn't it? The danger that prayer has become like bossing our teeth. And so we need to ask in our lives, is prayer essential or is it optional? How do, how do we, when you ask yourself that question, really, is it essential or is it optional? We need to ask that about our church as well. Is prayer essential or is it optional? And if prayer is just an optional add-on for us, then maybe we need to realize that we're not depending on God. Maybe that's why we find life difficult, or maybe that's why we find our, our faith lacking, or maybe that's why we find whatever it may be, because we're not depending on God. And, and if you are someone like me and like most of us who finds prayer difficult, then there is a solution, <laughs> because we can be like the disciples. We can come to the Lord and we can say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
Imagine if we as a church did just that. We said together, Lord, teach us to pray. Because the actual, the actual, the, the fact of the matter is that we can do nothing apart from him. And that means we can't even pray without him. <laughs> this is why we need to ask him, pray. You don't see the, the, the disciples in the gospels coming to Jesus and saying, will you teach us how to witness? Or will you teach us how to preach? Or will you teach us how to heal? No, you see that, Lord, teach us to pray. Because prayer is the, is the, the basis upon which our lives in Christ are dependent on him. We pray because we depend on God. One of our, this is why we have made one of our core values as a church. It's on the screen. This is what our, our core value says, that, that we want to have a culture of prayer and dependency because being created by God in his image and restored to the Father through Jesus, we are committed to being what God calls us to be by depending on Jesus. We want prayer to be both a regular community discipline. So like on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when we gather here to pray or, or every other Sunday night when we get together here and pray. Regular community discipline and an impromptu response. When somebody phones you, you go, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now on the phone or you meet them on the street. I'm struggling. I'm going to pray for you right now. It should be a reflex. Someone reminded me this week. An impromptu response to opportunities. We won't recognize that our natural instinct is to be self-sufficient and therefore commit to a life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what we've done there? This is a recognition that our human nature says, and one of the mission community said this yesterday, and it's a great point. Like, we, we just want to be self-sufficient. And, and so in our lives in Jesus, we want to actually say, no, we, we recognize that we're trying to be self-sufficient. And so we're going to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not we things, not some things, nothing. So if we can't do anything apart from him, then we better start depending on him. That's the first thing. The purpose of prayer is, is dependence on God. It's, it's a gospel attitude. It's, it's realizing our neediness before him and his, and his willingness to meet that need. And it's by depending on Jesus that we enter into his family, but it's also depending on him that we live as part of his family. Do we recognize our need for him? Depending on him? If we are, then we will be praying people. That's the first thing, the purpose of prayer, dependence on God. Secondly, I want to see the, the, the heart of prayer, intimacy with God. Now, imagine if uh, you have a close friend, and, and maybe you do have a friend, maybe you are this friend, <laughs> um, and, and anytime you want to spend time with them, you say, hey, let's hang out this weekend, they're always too busy. They never want to see you. But on the other hand, they never have any problem calling you up all the time asking for favors, right? They always seem to be asking you, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And of course you love them, they're your friend, and so you love them and you happily help them out time and time again. But over the course of time, you notice that there is no intimacy in your friendship. The relationship is all based on them needing your help. Now that, if we looked at that in a human relationship, we would say, that's not a very healthy relationship, right? And so the same goes for prayer. See, we pray because we are totally dependent on God. But, but God also desires intimacy with us, and he has designed prayer to be the key to that intimacy. We pray to know God. 
look at look at the start of the, the, the how the Lord teaches the disciples to pray. It says pray uh, when you pray. I pray then like this, Matthew six verse nine, our Father. That's how he starts, our Father. Prayer starts with our relationship with God. And the primary primary purpose of prayer, <laughs> it's hard to say, is deepen that relationship. And it's when we forget that this is the heart of prayer that we stop praying and we just reach for the emergency button. I gotta pray now. We forget that it's actually about a relationship. And I don't know about you, all of us, I think, grew up seeing prayer or maybe even being taught prayer that it's just asking God for things. So we, we, we learn to pray by saying, uh, Lord, help me with this. God, give me this. God, do this. Bless this person or protect me. Or we pray for others. We say, help them, protect them, bless them, whatever it may be. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we fall out of love with prayer or that we, we, we don't pray a lot. Because maybe you, you've stopped praying altogether because... If prayer is just for what you want and you don't get it, then maybe you're thinking, well, what's the point? And I'm sure a lot of us can, can think of a time when we prayed for something. And maybe we prayed for a long time and we didn't get the answer we wanted. Maybe, maybe you prayed for somebody to heal. Or maybe you prayed to get a job. Or maybe you prayed to have a baby or whatever it may have been. And no matter how, pray, how hard you prayed, the answer didn't come. You begin to wonder, well, what's the point of praying? Because I keep at and, and nothing's happening. Am I not using the right words? Am I not saying the right things? Do I, do I not have enough faith? But I want to put it to us. What if, what if the heart of prayer is knowing God, not getting answers? What if it's not about getting answers? What about knowing Him? The heart of prayer is knowing God, not getting answers. And it's not, to, it's not that asking for what we need and bringing our needs before God is not part of prayer. Of course it is. But what if prayer was intended to be much more than that? What if prayer wasn't just asking for him to bless us or keep us or protect us or help us? What if there's a depth to prayer that we've been missing out on? Look at what Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 about prayer. This is Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Wow, God knows what you need before you even ask Him. And, and, and that can be a comfort to us, but honestly, maybe that makes you think, well, if God knows what I need before I ask Him, what's the point of asking Listen, God doesn't tell us to bring our cares to him and our needs to him so that we can kind of let him know what we need, like inform him of what we need. He already knows. But he has designed prayer for an intimacy that goes beyond what we need. The reason Jesus tells us to pray is that there is a closeness and an intimacy that God intends to take place in prayer. A thing that we miss if we make it all about our needs and our wants. Some put it this way, a pastor that I know, he said, we are not desperate for something, we are desperate for someone. You see the difference there? We're not desperate for the things we need, we're desperate for him. That's the heart of prayer. It's a privilege prayer. In prayer, we get to have intimacy with God. We get to 
approach him in the throne room of heaven. And this is the shift that happens when we stop in prayer as something we have to do and start seeing it as something we get to do, right? We depend on God. But that's not separate or different from enjoying God. The, the, the two things go together. Think about this. like a little, baby, a little baby depends on her mom to feed her, literally for life. But, but it's in that feeding process that there is intimacy and closeness that, that happens in child, right? Yes, we depend on God, but it's in Him providing for us that we, we find intimacy and belonging and closeness. And God has designed prayer for us to enjoy Him and enjoy being with Him and to experience His goodness in a real personal way, in a way nothing else can do. And it's out of this intimacy with knowing God and enjoying Him that we, that we gain strength and nourishment to live. Do you see how that works? And in the example of Jesus, you need to set aside those times of intimacy. Set aside those times of, of, of going off to pray. Like Jesus says, he, said, uh, he says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father. Or go out walk, pray to your father. Sit in your car and pray to your father. Spend alone time with him. And maybe you're thinking, well, listen, I do, I do pray all the time. Doesn't the Bible say pray without ceasing? I pray when I'm driving to work. I pray when I'm in the shower. I pray when I'm brushing my teeth. I pray when I'm whatever. That's great. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. But, but what, if, what, if, what if I tried that in my marriage, right? And it's okay to use marriage as an example here because we are the church, the bride of Christ. Me and my wife talk all the time. We're always talking. Texting back and forth. We're, we're, we're talking as we're going about life, going here and there. But there's something about intimacy that doesn't just happen when you're constantly going about life. Intimacy happens in relationship when you purposefully seek the other person. When we purposefully seek God, there is an intimacy that takes place. So, so yes, pray everywhere. Pray all the time. But also set aside time to pursue the Father. To do what Jesus says here. Go into your room and shut the door. Nobody else's time except me and God's. May you might do with a spouse or with a friend. This is your time. This is me and you time. And what does Jesus say will be the result? He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Isn't that class? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. He doesn't say he'll reward you for being uh, having really eloquent prayers in church or uh, being really great prayers when your missional community gets together. He says, your father in secret will reward you when you, when you spend time in intimacy. The reward is that, is that there is an intimacy that comes from knowing God. That is the reward. He is the, he is the goal. He is the reward. The reward is knowing him, receiving him, hearing him, being with him. That's the heart of prayer. I've left myself with like four minutes through the last bit. So, you know, I'm going to have to speed up here. The purpose of prayer Dependent on God. The heart of prayer. Intimacy with God. I encourage us to do that. I feel that this is the one that maybe we need some help with. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with. Is pursuing that intimacy with God and enjoying Him. Finally then, let's look at the community of prayer. Power of God. Seeing the power of God. The community of prayer and seeing the power of God. When we think about prayer, it's easy to focus on the, um, the, the we have to, like I said, versus the we get to. 
But, but prayer is, is a privilege because uh, God designed prayer as that means of intimacy with Him. But it's also when we pray, we get to be involved in what God is doing in the world. Right? That's really, this is really cool. I, am I not? We, I was just chatting with someone earlier this morning about, you know, see when you pray and God answers exactly what you've asked it for. Like you, when, you, when we pray, we get to see God at work in the world. And you've probably heard somebody saying that, that prayer is powerful and, and prayer changes things. There is a sense in which that is true, but actually prayer, the words in and of themselves, are, 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 are powerless. And so in a sense, my, my goal today is not to, to get us to pray more. I do want us to pray more, but I want us, our goal to be that actually to, to desire connecting with the living God. Loads of religious people in the world, of all kinds of religions, would put us to shame in how dedicated they are to prayer. But if all we do is come away, I need to pray more, I need to pray more, uh, then there's a danger that we can end up in empty religion. And Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. But if in our praying, we are desiring connection with the living God, who is, who is the Lord, who is the creator of the universe, then, then we will be connected to prayer that is infinite and unstoppable. You see, Prayer in and of itself is powerless. I could, I could pray to flowers. I could pray to any one of you. I could pray to the sun. That is powerless. But when prayer is a means by which we connect to the living God, then we will experience, experience Him at work. And there's two parts of this that I want to quickly point out. Firstly, prayer is communal. Okay? And this is key. Prayer isn't an individual thing. Prayer is something that has designed, that he has designed for his family to, to participate in together. It's a communal thing, right? 95% of the references to prayer in the New Testament are, are communal, are to church communities. It's like we, we can't uh, think of ourselves as Lone Ranger Christians. It, it can't think of prayer as something we do on our own all the time either. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, what do we see? Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Eight plurals in that short little prayer. Jesus didn't just teach us how to pray. He taught us how to pray together. He taught us that praying was something we pursue together. And so it's not just who we are praying to. It's about who we are praying with. I do believe that as, as a community of people on mission together, uh, unified by the gospel of Jesus, that, that we will pray together. This is what we are meant to do. We are the family of God. God is our friend. Jesus is our, is our brother. And it would be weird if we never interacted with our Father together, right? I used the example yesterday with the MC leaders. Um, me and my sisters at various times, we, we, throughout the week, all talking to my mom individually. But it'd be weird if that's all we ever did, if we only ever saw my mom uh, individually. Of course, we want to be together with her. And there's, there's uh, you know, the extra level of joy and belonging and, quite frankly, madness and insanity whenever we're all together. But in the same way, prayer is a family thing. It's something that we do, do together. That's the first part of this. The second is prayer is powerful, Okay. Prayer is communal and prayer is powerful. See, God is the one who has all the prayer, all the power, not our praying. That's what we already looked at. But the way that we connect with that is through intimacy and dependence on Him 
and doing this together. So um, you can, Paul Miller has this book called uh, A Praying Church that I've been reading and I was teaching with the MC leaders yesterday. So if you're an MC leader, you're hearing this twice. Um, but you can think of it as kind of like the drivetrain of a car, right? We put that up, you go, little simple diagram for all the engineers in the room. So in the drivetrain, right, in the drivetrain of a car, the power moves from the engine through the gearbox, the transmission, into the drive shaft, which is the bit that turns the wheels through the differential. That's the bit that makes your wheels turn around. It's, it's the power has to be transmitted through to the wheels. And so in the prayer life of the church, a similar way, we, we pray, and it's a way of transferring God's power to make the wheels of the church turn. Now, let me explain this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19 that, that uh, Hannah read for us. Paul is praying to the Ephesian church. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you see what's going on here. Here, here is how prayer is like the drivetrain of the car. He says that Paul is praying to the Father to make the spirit, for the Spirit to make the presence of Jesus apparent in the life of the church. Paul is praying to the Father for the Spirit to make the presence of Jesus apparent to the church. I bow my knees before the Father, right? He's praying. This is the act of praying. I'm coming to the Father. Why? That he may grant you, the church, the Ephesian church, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner, inner being. This is, he's praying to the Father that the spirit would do, that the spirit would continue on this renewing work in our lives and, and strengthen us. So that, he goes on, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Jesus, that the, the presence of Jesus will become apparent to us. That Jesus would possess us, that he would be in us and, and fill us and own us and we would own him. Why? This is where, that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's praying, Father, that the Spirit would make the presence of Jesus more apparent so that then life comes into the church, so that then that, that we would overflow with the love of Christ. You see how this works? This is when the church family pray together. When we are a community of people, prayer is the spark that brings the engine to life. And this means that prayer is not just another church activity, right? Prayer is at the heart of the church. Because if it isn't, it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a, a, an old car that's been done up to look nice, but has a terrible engine on the inside, right? You can have a nice body, you can have uh, leather seats, you can have new, new tires, whatever. But if, if you have a bad engine, the engine isn't firing, if there's something wrong with your gearbox, you're not going to really go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? In the same way, without prayer, we won't experience Jesus at work in our church. We won't see the power of God unleashed among us. We can have the best looking community in the world. We are pretty good looking. That's not what I mean. I mean, like, we can have the appearance of being a nice community. We can have uh, great, uh, great worships together. We can be super friendly. We can have good coffee. We can do all these things. 
But if we are not praying, we're just a shell of a car. We're not accessing, we're not, we're not connecting with God. It might look nice on the outside, but we're not going anywhere. Prayer is vital for the church of Jesus. And I truly believe that when the community of God is praying, we will see the power of God in action. The community of God is praying, we will see the power of God in action. This is why we're going to focus on prayer this year. One of our, um, one of our goals, or faith, one of our faith goals, if you like, for this year is that we want to see 10 new believers baptized. That's not going to happen if we're not praying, right? We need to pray for these things. We want to depend on God. We want to pursue intimacy with Him. We, we want to see Him at work among us, especially through people come to new life in Jesus. And so we, as we humbly depend on Jesus together to grow in Him and to make Him known, we will only do these things through being committed to prayer. And so I want to leave you with, with three kind of practical things. And I, and I apologize for going on a little. Three little practical things. Firstly, pray constantly. Do that thing. As you go about daily life, talk to God. Talk to the Lord. It's okay to say, Lord, help me right now. That's definitely okay. Depend on God for everything. But then also set aside time for prayer. Because we're all busy, right? We're all busy. But we can all find time, can't we? We set aside time for Netflix. <laughs> we set aside time for Instagram, wherever it may be. Golf or whatever you do. Pursue that intimacy with God and, and, and pursue a closeness with Him. And then finally, pray with your church family. Whether this is with your missional community, those in few times when, when you're with a friend or you meet someone on the street, prioritize that. And, and listen, if you are someone like a lot of us are that struggle to pray in front of other people, remember this, you're not praying so that other people can hear you. You're praying so God can hear you. Actually, by uh, having that little bit of confidence to pray in the group, other people are encouraged. The Holy Spirit uses that to spark other prayers. And other ways to pray with our family is, is just turn up half an hour early. Come here at 10 on a Sunday morning. We'll pray for 15 minutes together. Then have a coffee and hang out. Pray actually that God would, would not, that, that we would be aware of the presence of Jesus in our gatherings like Paul prays for the Ephesians church. We would see the wheels of our car start to turn and then our prayer gatherings on Sunday nights, every other Sunday night, starting next Sunday. Come together and pray for like an hour, an hour and a half, and the time flies by. And honestly, it is the most encouraging time of the week. And we miss out on it for whatever reason that may be, but, but do come and pursue these things. And when we do these things, we're going to experience God's power at work. We're going to see people getting saved. We're going to see our prayers answered. We're going to see God provide in miraculous ways or whatever it may be. And He's going to get all the glory, and we'll be full of joy. It's a win win. Paul prays, I, I'm really done, I'm sorry, but I, I feel a bit, oh, this morning. Um, <laughs> Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. And, and that's the point of it all, right? The point isn't prayer in and of, of itself. The point is Jesus. The point is receiving Christ, more of him, more of his love, being filled with the knowledge of, of Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. It's all about him. To humbly depend on him together to make him known. Uh, let me pray for us and the band are going to come back up and then we're going to take communion together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are our God in heaven.
that your name is hallowed, that you are holy. Father, we pray for your kingdom to come in this church, for your will to be done in this church as it is in heaven, for this church to be a little glimpse of, of your kingdom here and now. Father, we pray for our needs as you taught us to ask for our daily bread. We, Lord, we ask that you would make us dependent on you in the same way as that we are to ask you for our daily bread. Make us dependent on you for every need uh, of us individually and as this church family. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our sins because they are many as we just sang. Thank you that your mercy is more. Your grace covers all our sins. Forgive us, Lord. Father, we pray that you wouldn't us into temptation, that you would deliver us from the pitfalls, Lord. Protect us from our pride. Protect us from um, our temptations, Lord, as a church to become boastful, to become gossips, to become self-centered. And Lord, we pray that you would deliver us from all, that you would protect us from all the attacks of the devil. Lord, we do believe that the kingdom and the power and the glory are only yours. And so we pray these things In the name of Jesus, amen.